One of my favorite writers in high school was uh, Sir Terry Pratchett with his Discworld oh, series. Love Pratchett. Oh, Discworld's so good. And uh, it might not see it immediately, but I would argue that Discworld is very, very Malifaux, and Malifaux is very, very Discworld. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that one of the things I try to figure out is what's the process like? And that's what we learned today with Josh Thompson. Josh is a freelance writer for Weird Games. He's written material for their fluff, as well as for their RPG, Through the Breach. I found Josh's approach interesting, his love of the subject matter infectious, and I think you will too. A big thank you to two of our newest patrons, Ryan Sell and Kyle B. Thanks for your support. All right, let's sit back, let's relax, and enjoy my time with Josh. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're talking to freelance writer Josh Thompson. Listeners who play Malifaux and Through the Breach likely know his work for Weird Games. You may have read his work in Weird Chronicles or his Through the Breach one-shot, The Price of Progress. So, Josh, welcome to the third floor. Cheers, babe. Thanks for having me. So, Josh, out of curiosity, um, there was a point in your life where you never knew anything about rolling dice and moving models and flipping cards. I'd be curious to know what your first exposure was to uh, tabletop gaming. Yeah, let's see here. I would say that I, I was a gamer preemptively to begin with. I think uh, middle school, high school, fell into Magic the Gathering, things like that. Um, it kind of helped that my first job was, I know these don't exist as much anymore, but if you recall those bygotten days with uh, you have to go to the shop and rent movies and discs yeah. and stuff. That was my one of my first jobs there. So uh, being 16, 17, when I would get my paycheck, I would just turn around and buy, you know, Magic the Gathering product and things like that, kept it in-house. So uh, when it comes to role play and miniatures, though, that really started for college for me because uh, I grew up in a rural area. And so uh, like MTG was the only way that we kind of uh, connected, communicated uh, our kind of gaming uh, meta, I guess. But in college, that's when I started to kind of get into role play. In my later years, that's when one of my college friends came back from Adepticon from a, I think it was a War Machine tournament. There's this newfangled thing that he's very interested in. And it, it's steampunk and zombies. Oh my. Uh, hey, look in this Malifaux product. And so uh, some of my roommates asked me, hey, can you paint up some of these for us. We don't have confidence in that, but we know you might be a little bit more interested in that. So I tried it and I, I, I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed the lore. And so after college, uh, that's when I fell more heavily into it there. So that's kind of the quick snip. Yeah. So the role-playing stuff. So what did you role, what games did you play? Uh, we started with, um, fourth ed D and D. So I know that, uh, in retrospect, that's kind of much, um, maligned for, uh, for folks, not kind of considered the upper echelon of editions. But at the same time, the things that did, it, it got me into role play. And I think that's what a, a you and a lot of people, people can people can poo poo fourth edition all they want, but it introduced a lot of people to role playing. Yeah, because I think if you examine it in that snip of time there, what was kind of big in the gaming scene there was Warhammer. Uh, no, not the other W one there. Uh, World of Warcraft. There we go. Um, so that kind of whole. I just remember printing out all those ability cards and having a, effectively a HUD right in front of me. And just like for my video gamer mind, this makes a lot of sense here, but we're not necessarily using a confined system here. We're using our imagination and things like that. That was just far more compelling to me to have uh, something that could evolve or try stuff that instead of breaking or glitching would actually unlock new gameplay experiences. 
So the so you're a little bit older than a lot of my guests when they got into actual miniature gaming. Um, and it sounds like the hobby aspect was your first introduction because people are pushing uh, models off on you to paint and stuff like that. But I'd always be interested. Um, how hard was it to start? So was it uh, was there certain concepts about tabletop gaming that were a challenge or were you able to pick it up pretty quick? I think what resonated with me with uh, starting with the role play, then going into uh, war uh, war games, th that was like a natural progression in terms of things have different roles there. And so instead of me being a one player amongst five, I'm playing all the roles of this particular skirmish level and things like that. That kind of made sense there. And I think a second part was where I feel I was kind of the most competitive in my video gaming would be StarCraft, your RTSs and things like that. Oh, yeah. and that that's very similar genre there in terms of uh, commanding armies and resource management. And there's a lot of cross-pollinization. So I, I feel it, it clicked there. I'm not going to say I'm any good. I think that uh, highest accolade <laughs> I can claim. I, um, I got third place in Tyrants back in Gen Con 2018. That that's 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 pretty that's been my peak. So uh, <laughs> I'm not going to claim um, like mastery of the game there, but um, it it I still feel like I've had insight that goes into uh, our play test days there, which uh, we might talk about later. Yeah. So I'd be curious. Um, obviously, a big part of RTS is like StarCraft is the resource management um, and and learning um, how important it is conserving and using your resources at the right point in time. Did you think those skills translated to the tabletop? I think 100%. Yeah, totally. Uh, there's so many systems going on there, whether it's the management of your action points, the management of your soul stones, the management of position or um, what's the term I'm looking for here? Uh, situational awareness of also understanding your opponent there of what they're able to do and how they can counteract uh, yourself there. Um, that I, I think that's where gaming is kind of the most interesting there is when you have these kind of skill sets that bleed into multiple disciplines and are truly universal in many applications. Gotcha. And so from my understanding, then you moved into uh, playing uh, Malifaux and then um, when did you decide or when did you fall into actually uh, helping out with the playtesting? Let's see. So my Malifaux start, I want to say, was the third book or fourth book of First Ed. So that would be like Twisting Fates and uh, Storm of Shadows. And that was right when I left college, got married, uh, had my first kind of career in um, Central California and uh, we are particularly isolated there. Uh, so uh, honestly, me building my own collection there, okay, I've painted models for others. Uh, I, I want something for myself there, but haven't found a group yet there. So that's when uh, panned up our first metal models for crews for my wife and I there. And I say all that and I totally forgot your question. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> when did, when did the prospect or the desire to do play testing start? So uh, while we were in Los Banos in kind of central California, didn't have a lot of connection, but then uh, the second place, which I'm still working at here up in Siskiyou County, uh, this is like my home area. My parents are like a half hour away. I, I have a lot of connections there. So once I got rooted here, okay, this is a bit more familiar and I reached out more to some of my actual students and hey are you interested in role play and things like that um, yes you might be interested in D&D &D, but can I interest you in this other system through the breach um, and so I had a fairly dependable play group there and a understanding uh, shop owner who had us in the back room there allowed me to record and things like that so uh, it's through my students actually that I That's was able cool. to find um a nice interaction there. So it's kind of mutually beneficial to kind of show them that this community exists. This is something you might want to look into college there, whereas it served me to for my own kind of DM FMing skills and also provide weird with uh, play test uh, content. So I'd be curious, Josh, what was first? Was Malifaux first or Through the Breach first for you? Sounds like Malifaux. Malifaux was first, but we fell heavy into Through the Breach. I was one of the backers when they kickstarted it right from the off there. And um, between the two, my, my wife prefers Through the Breach over uh, Doom Malifaux with us here. So um, I, I really believe in the system here. I kind of wish we had more content in terms of 
like their system, the, their fate deck and things like that. I kind of um, that we just recently wrapped up a campaign. Actually, I'm not sure if you're familiar, if your listeners are familiar with Avatar, the last airbender kind of oh, yeah. genre. So we just completed a campaign in that world and that was uh, loads of fun there. So um, I think it's a flexible system. It's really, really fun. And we've put many hours into it. Oh, so that's interesting. You took the engine of Through the Breach, but ran uh, a Last Airbender campaign. Yeah, because that, that's one of the shortcomings I will say of Through the Breach is you do as a FM with a new group have this hurdle of, oh, by the way, here's what the setting is. Here's the genre. And it's an interesting genre, but you're not going to communicate the history. You're not going to have them read up their own lore and things like sure. that. It, it, it It's a large hurdle to get all that done there. So I, I was curious to launch this campaign for two reasons, one of which is, okay, if I choose a different setting with a group that's very, very familiar with that, how will this game go? And then secondly, to test again, how versatile is the system in a different setting there? And so I put in a lot of work to, uh, okay, there's just flat out no necromancy in Avatar. Just you right. can talk to spirits. You The media might work there, but there's no zombies. Take that off. Same thing with firearms. There's no such thing as weaponry there. The closest thing they have is firebenders uh, in cannons and naval ship, but there's no projectile weaponry. So uh, I put in a lot of work to set up the uh, system to work here. J just a proof concept. Does it even work here? Is this enjoyable? But uh, talk with my players thereafter like that, that this is the most fun we've had in a RPG setting ever. Uh, so awesome. I, 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 I've nothing but chuffed with uh, the end result there of that campaign. So I'd be curious because the uh, the way that characters advance and through the breach is very unique in role playing. Um, did you keep that in the avatar setting? Yeah, I pretty much uh, other than taking out some pursuits, I left everything un untouched so that they uh, increased their pursuit steps. There were destiny steps there. The other big alteration was how do I treat bending? So how I treated that was already e the magic system in Through the Breach has, I, I believe it's called schools, where you might have hedge magic and things like that. I yep. had a separate school that was the bending school, which forced you to play certain elemental immuto, which aligned with the elements of whatever bender they were and also limited them to what spells they could cast. So right. the water bender could heal or put up ice pillars. And then the fire bender had illusion type stuff and Bernie, uh, whatnot there. And so, uh, it became particularly interesting once, uh, technically it wasn't necessarily avatar. It was more, the time between Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, so pro-bending arena was a thing. So when they became pro-bending pro uh, athletes, they made their own team and were, com were, were combining their Immuto and um, Magia, just like they saw on the show. It, it was a blast. I, I think that's the first time I've heard of somebody porting over Through the Breach. And, um, you know, the people that I talk to about Through the Breach, I've only played it as a player. Um, I've never run it. But um, the system is great. All right. The mechanics are great. And some of the mechanics that we love about Malifaux over other tabletop games are present in Through the Breach. So that's uh, that's very, very cool. So, guys, the Insider Insight series allows me to talk to developers, designers, artists, writers and industry insiders about the creative process and how they approach their work. Today, we're going to try to find out how Josh gets his inspirations how he does his work, uh, research and what it's like to work with weird games and to create compelling stories and adventures. So we're going to take a quick break. When you get back from this break, we're going to talk about the transition from playtester to creator. We'll be right back. So we got kind of an idea of how Josh found tabletop gaming and, uh, you know, how he transitioned and fell in love with Through the Breach. Josh, I'd be curious, um, taking a step back, I want to talk to you, talk about you more as a writer. Um, so uh, when... When did you start writing? And when I mean writing, I mean just writing stories for yourself. Uh, you know what? It's not the kind of pathway you would expect here because I, I still – just you saying that sentence, what makes you a writer here, uh, I, I'm still struggling to wrap my head around with because um, if I hadn't mentioned already, I, I'm a high school teacher. I, I teach science. And so one of the reasons why I chose science academically and, and math, like, like those were my two main – foci was predominantly because I, I enjoyed them yes but english wasn't my super favorite subject it's not that i did bad at it i didn't really super enjoy it either and i think others can kind of uh, have that same sentiment there so i 
I, I wasn't uh, anathema to, to it, but I knew I, writing is not for me. I, I, I don't find it interesting or compelling here. But before I went to teaching, it was one of my goals here that, you know, I don't want to be a dusty fuddy-duddy reading from a book. I want to have interesting labs here, but more importantly, I want kind of life experience here. So before I go into teaching, I want to do a bit of kind of science life experience. How can I do that? So I picked up a few jobs coming out of college here. Uh, those being, I worked for a stint at NASA Dryden down in Southern California. I worked at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in the Bay Area, uh, Slack Linear Accelerator. Um, I, I did some exoplanet transit research as a undergrad. So I uh, Doing these opportunities, I, I wanted to feel what it's like to be a scientist before becoming a teacher. But it was that stint at NASA, I feel like that's when I became a writer here because I was kind of uh, broadsided th that there was a high expectation of communication that had to be done within NASA right there. And I just remember one of my kind of core tasks was babysitting the task, which is the telescope assembly alignment simulator. It's this big glorified tube that helps calibrate their instruments. But the problem was um, it was still under development for this one airplane. No one had bothered to characterize the calibrator or calibrate the calibrator to p put even more basically. So my job was that for a summer. And I just remember when the first reports I wrote up there, I put my heart and soul into it and it was five or six <laughs> pages long. I gave it to my superiors here and the following morning, he's like, yeah, this is garbage. This is no good. This is not how NASA scientists write. Uh, do this, this, and this, and uh, send me the redraft here. And so I, I think that's a defining moment for a lot of writers there is like he did not um, hold back on anything here. But at the same time, he was a good boss. He was very communicative of how I can improve and what he was looking for. He didn't waffle around of what the expectations were. So that three or four page paper became an eight or six page paper, sent it back, came back. Nope. Better, but still trash. Not good enough here. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. So by the end of a like three month stand, I want to say that you know what I thought he originally asked for a three or four page paper ended up being about twenty five or thirty page wow. kind of really detailed report here. And I actually had a chat with him back in October doing a Zoom call with my students there, and he and he admitted, yeah, uh, Josh, that report you wrote back in. That would be 2010, a decade later. We're, we're still using that in-house. So no kidding. Th Good that, for you, man. That was a, you know, it's not anything published. It's not anything you can look up here. But that was, I felt like I had legitimately contributed to NASA's efforts to, to kind of hear that and that uh, remain evergreen there. So that process is what I kind of think of writing. That relationship I had with Zaheer of jotting stuff down kick it over there. Nope, not good enough, not good enough. And just having that feedback cycle that's really brutal and really time consuming, but you really end up with really interesting polished products. So that was kind of my first step in professional writing. And that was entrenched in technical writing too. And that's something I, I really, really stress to kids. The writing you learn at high school or even college, the novelizations or plays or poetry is not most likely not going to be the type of writing you're going to do as an engineer, as you're, you're going to write instruction manuals, you're going to write down websites, you're not going to uh, do these big epic um, J.R. Tolkien uh, writing styles um, as a profession, but you're still going to write. So that, that, that I feel was my first step. So I'd be curious. Um... When, like, if you look back now, when is the first time that you ventured into writing fiction? So let's see. I think that kind of goes back into, honestly, my first attempts in homebrew. In, oh, into, okay. Back into role play right there where I, I might have a story idea there. But when done, not correctly, but I think when done well is when you fully accept that there is a... Uh, joint storytelling, right? The DM might have story beat ideas, but not railroad tracks to just be this roller coaster ride for the players. Um, yep. How are they going to uh, inject in here and uh, things like that? So uh, I, I think it comes from there where, like any DM or FM, kind of start with uh, the pre published. Um, adventures then you might interject your own things of like well this is kind of iffy or i need to accommodate the 
the honestly learning styles of the players here, I can't help but kind of connect how a GM and a teacher have very similar kind of core sets here. This is my lesson of, of kind of discovery. How can I get my players there, etc. Until eventually, like I said, the homebrew with um, the bravery to do kind of really complex things like the avatar until I eventually like I, I, I think I can jot this stuff down. I, I, I have a, a writing style, I feel, I think. Uh, let's see what weird things. And that's uh, when I, I, I checked recently. I, I don't see the tab there at the moment there, but there every once in a while they have job opportunities, you know, track on weird there. It's the again, I, I will always endorse how great through the breaches here and um, I saw there was job opportunities for just being a freelance writer. And so it's like, well, let's send a writing sample, whatever they request, see what they think. And uh, things just kind of tumbled from there. That's cool. Well, it's interesting you talk about, you know, being a GM or a DM, um, giving you kind of um, some of the tools. Because when you think about it, when you're running a game, especially a homebrew game, you are you're controlling the pace, which is a big part of writing fiction and controlling the pace and the set pieces and the beats, um, being able to uh, start a story, uh, have three acts, all of that, you know, is part of role playing and running role playing games. Um, so I can definitely see where those skills would transition. So let's talk about the writing sample. So what it, what was the writing sample that you sent to Weird? Uh, let's see. I'm trying to recall here. I actually didn't um, bring that up and uh, look at some more here. But um, if I recall correctly, I think I titled it literally the sample. And um, what it had to do was a professor in i think it was oxford it, it, it was some college and it was all about her lecture going on about the scientific approach of soul stones because we get a lot of content about uh, oh the miners call it soul stone because it magically charges with the deceased going by near it there but would a scientist be actually happy with that would they actually be content with that explanation there so is this whole kind of academic argument between the professor and her uh, classroom there of the, the the classmates arguing, no, it, it's Soulstone. There's so much evidence there. And, and her arguing, no, it's all circumstantial. Um, correlation does not mean causation and, nice. and things like that. And um, it ends, if I recall correctly, she uh, gets special dispensations for the guild to uh, lend her a stone to do her experiments and things like that. But at the end, the guild uh, knows and finds out that when she returns the stone, it's a fake. Somehow during the whole discussion, she pawned it off and things like that. And But they know she did. How was she able to make such a fake? We'll let her keep on tinkering, da-da-da-da-da. And that, that was the close there, that they know that she know that da-da-da. And full circle like that. Very, very cool. Um, all right. So you get the, you, they accept the writing sample. Um, that's a done deal. W what's the next step? Um, so uh, w once, once you are quote unquote hired as a freelancer, what happens next? I'm not sure how uh, other places might uh, do it here or, and they might handle um, different writers differently in terms of the, the, the amount of content come up there, but at least my relationship with uh, Weird, every once in a while they'll uh, ping me and say, hey, um, we would like a piece of fiction there. That was kind of my first piece there. Uh, we want something in Chronicles. We're kind of light on outcast lore at the moment there. Is that something you want to nosh on? I'm like, well, my first master was Leviticus. I really enjoy the lore of Terra. Let me see if I can uh, work something up here. And uh, being focused on science, particularly physics and astronomy, uh, I want to do a Terra kind of time story there. And that was nice. kind of my first uh, launching off point. So for those that have not read your Chronicles story, can you give us kind of a, a little bit of a uh, synopsis? Yeah, so we have um, two characters, um, Teddy, and I, I'm spacing on the, the second character here. This is really bad form for me not to remember my you read ingredients the story, here. man. I hear it's good. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's my favorite uh, one ever published in um, Chronicles, can't you tell? So um, I, I do distinctly remember Teddy because there's a story beat at the end about that there. But we, we just have two kind of um, – Splunkers going around in the sewers and and they find a piece of tech that uh, they really shouldn't. And um, it's one of those classic time pieces where dial forward, dial, dial back, it 
proves to be a time machine and they they see bits of the tyrant war which i was really really chuffed with them allowing me to do that because i know no that's kidding. a very sacred piece of kind of lore there uh and and high canon of, of what powers do tyrants have what what scenes do we get to see them so the fact that you get to see one time i won't say who so you go and download and read for yourself um <laughs> I, I was quite pleased with there, but in their time there, the um, sundial, the, the device, the, the tile of the story sundial, uh, gets uh, wrecked, and the two characters get flung into two different kind of broken time states. One is in a frozen present, and the other one is just in utter darkness, which I was trying to allude to. This might be one of the possible presents if the time at war had a different result or something like that. Nice. And it ends with uh, Aeonis uh, coming by and repairing things effectively and having a chat with both of them individually. And <laughs> b both of them are tr trying to negotiate with time and he's having none of it. So where did the idea come from? So the, before a pen ever hit paper, you, you know, you, you go through your head and you try to put together a story. What were the initial seeds that uh, led to, you know, you initially at least outlining it or breaking it down in your head? Well, the story I just described there has very, very little to do with what I first wrote down. Um, the original story was, again, two characters, but it was about a uh, father and a daughter and time things uh happening with them there and pretty much the only similar beat story beat was the same ending there them pleading their case with aeonis when he's trying to repair it in a very aggressive fashion there uh that whole story arc was a very very close homage to i'm not uh, sure if you're familiar with uh, dan simmons he wrote hyperion and i've never uh, read him but i've heard he's excellent yeah so um dan simmons was recommended to me when i was doing teaching um Hi hyperion in particular uh has again weird uh wibbly wobbly time stuff there and i that book in particular i describe it as it, it's science fiction but uh, everyone's going to the Wizard of Oz and each chapter is each character. What am I going to ask from Oz? And the really frustrating thing with that book is it concludes right when they get to the Emerald City. You don't get to see anything else there and uh, until you read the sequel. But sure. uh, one of those stories has, a, again, wibbly, wobbly, wobbly timey-wimey type stuff between um, a, a Again, I'm not quite sure how much I need to uh, reveal here because, again, that, that's a story that I, I highly encourage there. But the, the point is a lot of the story beats I saw in there is like this really fits for obliteration. If I kind of um, steampunk it up here, there's some really interesting stuff that happens here. So when I submitted that to Weird, they kicked back and said this is too long. This is too convoluted. It doesn't read well as a short story. Um Yes, playing around with Void Wretches and Aeonius, like keep work on that, but this whole strange kind of time loop you're trying to do, it, it's not going to work here. So nice. So we'll, we'll stop for a second here. So what was it like to get that feedback? Uh, I honestly got a flashback to my time at NASA there where um, the feedback w was clear, brutal, but I was 100% okay with it. And that's something I would really encourage kind of students and writers and things like that, that um, honestly, having that kind of clear of feedback is a godsend. Um, I can't imagine writing for anyone else there that's like, well, I, I, I don't like it. I can't say why, just, just start again. Like that's not very productive. And I'm just glad that my kind of writing experiences have had good kind of management there to give me guidance to, to be very clear. Again, okay, it's too convoluted. Here's the beats we want you to preserve. Try and fill in the rest there. That's what we need as freelance writers. So you go, you go and decide. All right, I, 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 there's some elements here that I'm going to keep. There's something. There's some things that that, that weird liked, uh, but I need to just re-engineer all of this. So what's what's next then? Well, like where where do you decide where it's two dudes in a sewer? Trying to recall uh, my kind of thinking process here. I, I think how it evolved best was just um, me writing backwards, honestly. The, the part that we both liked was the ending, what, what the, the culminating event right there. And so, again, I, I think there's too much of a kind of misconception is that you write how 
you read beginning to end, but uh, especially in technical writing, uh, but also in this kind of splash in kind of fluff writing there, that that's not what happened there. And so, um, okay, what do I want to see instead here? Well, if I'm not going to have this kind of closed loop thing, let's uh, play around with time here. Okay, so let's see if they let me get away with seeing a scene in the Tyrant Roar, uh, Tyrant War, and kind of the beginning of the Nephilim race there. Oh, they're okay with that. All right, let's lean into it there. And so um, I, I, I hope the, the folks I work with there at Weird aren't like – uh agitated by this uh what about this no what about this yes back and forth back and forth because uh it takes weeks and months to do that process there but sure the, the end product i'm pleased with and they're obviously pleased with it because it, it it's they published go, it. going to print so yeah 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 that's very very cool and it's interesting to hear that process that you kind of went through now i'd be i'd be curious so you give me a little bit of an idea of kind of the the uh the writer's table right the back and forth and throwing some ideas out and getting some feedback on it. Um, but at some point you, you put pen to paper and you write the first draft of the, well, this is the second draft, right? You threw the first one out. Um, do you, what do you do before you send it to them? Um, whether is it something that you read several times, you give to your wife, you have friends, like what's that process before you officially submit the next draft? Yeah, I, I do have a few proofreaders, uh, uh, on certain drafts there, I'll have my wife read through it there, and, and she's far uh, better with my uh, punctuation and grammar mistakes and things <laughs> like that than I am. Uh, so she definitely cleans up there. Uh, I'll so- sometimes uh, uh, show it to my mom there. She's an avid reader, and she'll give a, a proof there. And that that's the thing is I try not to share it with my, like, uh, strict gamer buddies, like not none of my college friends, none of my uh, like current play group there, because I, I know they'll understand the references. I know they'll understand right. these names here, but I need to make it clear to folks that aren't familiar with the world. I want to make sure that it's a product that is a bit more universal. Very, very interesting. So I'd be curious, um, Josh, for people listening who um, maybe have wrote, wrote their own fanfic, um, whether it be for Malifo or for something else, uh, but they've never ha- never gotten published. Um, what, what kind of advice can we give them? What, what do you think are some good steps if if someone is sitting here listening right now and maybe wants to take that next step and stop writing for themselves or on a message board somewhere and may, may want to submit it somewhere? Uh, do you have any thoughts for them? I, I'm not quite sure how to answer that because like that we're skipping a, a step here between me like writing for NASA and me writing for weird here. And there's that really big middle chunk there of my play test days. Like we play well, tested a lot. That. Yeah. So where we start here, I, I'm trying to remember the first book I play test with here. It might've been the open play test for the recently announced Malifaux second edition, I think was uh, it's either that or the second book I, I want to say is, I'm checking my bookshelf here, Crossroads. It was one of those two books. And uh, when you get into those play test forms, whether they're open or closed here, I think Weird has improved in kind of describing what they want to see here. But kind of back in ye olden days, when when we're talking about like Justin Gibbs is still on staff and things like that. um, Oh, just, you know, kind of play your game, really be detailed about what you hire. But we kind of trust you to uh, kind of narratively describe what happened, what do you think is bust and things like that. I came in there as like, I, I, again, I'm not a strong enough player and I'm not confident in myself to kind of find the busted combinations here. I, I do want to detail the experience in terms of like the fun aspect and uh, right. the clarity of the rules and what the kind of middle tiered uh, mid table mediocrity <laughs> feels about these new models and things like that. So um, I, on the other hand, and each play tester had uh, different styles there. Someone uh, stayed uh, towards that, some had really small uh, sound blitz, or the the more interesting conversations were the ones where you'd have two play testers playing the same game, and they would have a back and forth on how things went. Well, understanding this model better now, I would do X Y Z thing. Like those were yeah. really pr- productive uh, forms to read there. But uh, my style was I detailed absolutely every single action. I uh, noted when. Uh, particular actions fail because of a flip or when hands ran dry. I took pictures of the table. I played both on Vassal and in the physical there and just did dozens of game reports like that. And that took a lot of time, 
But um, I, I think that's what put me first on the radar with Weird there, that um, here's someone that's willing to kind of put in time and help the process there. So when I came on for that, you know, job opportunities as a freelance here, I, I, I already had my own brand. I was already kind of on the radar. Oh, we, we gotcha. know his content there. We, we know he is familiar with the models, familiar with the uh, lore and um, playing with my Through the Breach uh, students, uh, those were all recorded. I had a little sound record there. I, I still have them. I have no interest in publishing them or anything like that, but that was fully supposed to be in-house there. And so I would still have my notes that, oh, this ability is confusing or this scene was particularly deadly. But uh, I, I think that rigor and detail is what kind of already made me partially a, a community member, not necessarily community for the weird community, because you, sure. you, you didn't, no one has seen that work publicly, but um, doesn't mean I've been silent all that time. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, it, it was really in, in some ways you kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, made a name for yourself within the playtesting arena. Um, so the weird was aware of, of your attention to detail um, and your familiarity with the world. Um, and you think that that had an impact on on their evaluation of your writing sample? I I can't see how that couldn't have been a contributing factor. Yeah, in, yeah. in short. I'd be curious because, um, boy, you've written in this world, you've played in this world. Um, what is it about the world that, that you like so much that you not only is it a tabletop game you play, it's a role-playing game that you play. It's a role-playing game you've written for. It is, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a part of your creative process at this point. Um, what is it about uh, Malifaux that, that makes you love it so much? I, I've been trying to think about this uh, for a while here, uh, just kind of reflecting on um, the, uh, so compared to the other systems I, I play, why do I still rank like Through the Breach and Malifaux higher compared to these other experiences? Because uh, I didn't stop at 4th Ed, I went on to 5th Ed. I, I, I played Dark Heresy with the Warhammer friends there. I've done bits of Pathfinder and the weird ones like Dread. Um, why is it that I rank Through the Breach uh, so highly? Uh, and it's lore in particular. And what I've kind of come to conclude is, uh, of all things, it doesn't seem like a clear connection here. But if you're, again, looking back to writers, um, one of my favorite writers in high school was uh, Sir Terry Pratchett with his Discworld oh, series. love Pratchett. Oh, Discworld's so good. And uh, it might not see it immediately, but I would argue that Discworld is very, very Malifaux, and Malifaux is very, very Discworld. And what, Interesting. I, what I mean by that is, well, yes, one's high fantasy and things like that, but the satire that Pratchett wrote about um, of each book had kind of a core idea, and here we're following the Nightwatch here, and here's uh, Commander Vimes, and here's uh, the Unseen Universe, and here's the Wizards bimbling around, and each book is, okay, let's uh, focus on commercialism, and let's uh, focus on uh, racism, and let's focus, you know, he had each beat there, but um, it, it's been a little bit more recently, because I, again, introduced my wife to audiobooks during COVID and whatnot of uh, his Discworld series. Uh, something that I've marveled at that I feel that both IPs share is they're so broad in terms of the topics and the themes they examine, but at the same time, they fit together very, very well. Uh, and so a counter to that is, uh, again, in these COVID times, something I've been reading up here is like the Sandman series by uh, Neil Gaiman, oh. a, a, another uh, high-ranked um, author for me there. And um, he, he's one of the best. He's one of the best there is, yeah. uh, in my opinion. So looking at those old 80s and 90s of Sandman there, uh, you know, here we've got uh, Batman uh, showing up randomly and leaves. And here we've got this uh, concept of how his dream world works and then it leaves there. So it he, too, has all these concepts there, but they're always fleeting. And that works for Sandman because it's meant to feel like a dream and right. that, that that like fits for, for that. But Discworld, on the other hand, uh, we just finished listening to uh, Raising Steam. So we had Moise von Lipvig, the entrepreneur, trying to establish a locomotive, but he's also interacting <laughs> with Vimes and also talking with Vetinari on what is the political nature of having a railway system. We have to talk with these other nations and how is this actually changing the world there? So it, it, I just feel so much more care 
in actually having a very developed world, even though it's a true melting pot of ideas. And I feel Malfoy does the same thing. It definitely does. I'd be curious to know if you've ever read any of the Riverworld books by Philip Jose Farmer. Uh, I'm not familiar with that one, but I'll write that down. Uh, yeah, write it down. Um, and this is me showing my age because those are older books. But um, the, it, 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 I didn't connect it with Discworld, but I get what you're saying. And I and I agree with you. Um, what Malifaux reminded me of is is Riverworld, um, which is a series of books. And God, I think there might be a dozen of them uh, written by uh, uh, Jose Farmer. And um, basically, instead, when people die, they go to this world that's basically a river and and everybody who's ever lived and ever died is is there and you'll have mark twain you'll have hitler you'll have just an unbelievably eclectic group of characters and depending on what book it is depends on what character manifests there but to to the Discworld and the pratchett um uh, analogy there's intrigue right so you have individual characters that you care about but they're they're very different than other characters and then you have the political aspect of it and and the uh, the power struggles and stuff like that so yeah if you haven't checked that out you'll have to check that out i just hearing you talk about Discworld, i'm like oh i wonder if he's read farmer i bet you'd like farmer (laughs) yeah Um, definitely gonna look that up you should, you should, and you have to, you have to let me know whether you uh, read it. It makes me want to pull them back out again. But um, so I'd be curious in the world itself of Malifaux, is there any particular characters that you feel you already mentioned, you know, you feel a little bit of closeness to Leviticus. Is there anybody else that um, maybe you haven't written for yet that you would love to get a chance to write for? Um, let's see here. So yeah, I, I rank Leviticus highly and just that outcast faction in general i just communicates uh to me the most there uh I, i've enjoyed reading the content for um 10 thunders i was gonna say three kingdoms but no ten, uh 10 thunders as a faction there um ever since uh been to japan and things like that i've come back and just seeing uh again the little love letters that go to those uh pieces of lore there um that's one of my highest uh recommendations for adventures to play is the obsidian gate um that one of the most recent uh paint dreadfuls uh published there it's a fantastic um paint dreadful so um just, it's just so you know uh, uh uh nate wolf who's written a lot of the 10 thunder stuff um and 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 helped with obsidian gate um while we're recording this it hasn't been released yet but i interviewed him oh, neat. um and a real interesting guy real interesting guy cool. and it's neat that you like that aspect of it as well um so guys we're going to take a quick break when we get back from this break i want to talk about his one shot we're going to talk about price of progress i want to learn um what it's like to write an actual adventure for a role-playing game so we'll be right back When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Keith Suderman, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. You'll never mistake me for a competitive player, but I really enjoy the analysis and the advice I get from Tabletop Talk. You should be a patron too. Head on over to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, or just click the link in the show notes below. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. 
We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there's a link in this show's description, and there is, we won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to some of the original patrons that started us on this journey. Special thanks to Jesse Ellis, Sam Newman, Nick Westbrook, Jim Ortiz, Kevin Smith, Keith Suderman, Matthew Riddle, Dane Leergaard, Jeremy Peace, Bookie Gunner, Chris Blue, Voslav, Kim Otto Nielsen, Rolf Randall, John Haas, Cody Hyatt, Michael Roper, Ambrose Ingram, Pudgy Hobbit, Kaiser and Crimson, Brandon Sommer, Jason Reddy, Jason Burry, Kylie Woodland, Brian Schooner, Alan Voltz, and Owen. Because of you and the 100 other plus patrons, I'm able to put out content on a regular basis, and I appreciate it. So it's one thing, you know, to write for NASA. Uh, it's another thing to, uh, you know, write a write a story for uh, one of the Chronicles. Um, it's one thing to play through the breach. It's one thing to run through the breach, but creating an actual adventure, a one shot, like the price of progress, that's got to be a very different thing. So first off, when did the opportunity to create a one shot come, come around? Yeah, I believe the sequence events, uh, put off, uh, put out sundial. It got published, um, Good feels all around there, uh, but this was also the t- uh, time where uh, it was actually, I think, the second to last uh, Weird Chronicles. Uh, Weird doesn't do Chronicles anymore. They were amping up for uh, third edition, so I ha- actually hadn't heard from them it for a while, and uh, when I would put a feel out there, oh, we're busy, things like that, so uh, it came to, I think it was a Christmas break, was like, hey, I, I – by the way, I, I don't really write when uh, school's in session. It, it being a teacher is a full time job, but yeah, at the same it, time, it takes a few just a few hours to be yeah, a teacher. Yeah, especially now during COVID, it, piece of cake, no worries. Um, but when it comes to kind of lengthy breaks and stuff, it's like, well, I, I would like to keep myself busy. Um, maybe they've got a project for me. So in one of those breaks, I, uh, it was either Christmas or spring break, but it doesn't matter. Um, Hey, do you have a project in mind there? Should I do another piece of lore? Uh, and they came back and said, well, actually, a- a- again, we-, we trust you with Through the Breach here. Why don't you try your hand at a one shot, um, particularly something, if you can, try and make it Condor Rails centric, uh, because also in the background secretly, this was them amping up for Ex- uh, Explorer Society. Yep. And they knew that um, Condor Rails was going to be its own faction there. It'd be nice if we had an adventure to kind of go along with that. So it, th- that was my prompt. That was it. Was can you just do a one shot? Can you make it um, Condor Rails? And a, a second reason why they chose Condor Rails, um, there's a lot of existing lore about the rails and in, into the steam which yep. is a through the breach source book there. So there's already quite a bit fleshed out of ha- where it exists again in the kind of the environment of business inside Malifaux. There's a lot of names and how they operate there, but again, not that much lore, not that much uh, as of yet uh, generated for kind of gameplay content. Uh, so that was pretty much my prompt to, to start with. So now, so they come back to you with that, which I, I'm sure was exciting and daunting all at the same time, because this is going to be your first time, you know, actually writing, writing a, uh, an adventure that's, that potentially could get published. What's the first step? So you've got a, a basic theme, right? You, you, what, that you want to center it around. What's, what's next? So th- they came back with that and it immediately sparked or kind of reminded me of something else that's kind of been in the back of my brain all this time here, uh, bring it back to Soulstones. And it's the fact that when you say Soulstone Miner, uh, what the, you see on the model and what is kind of expressed in the lore is what I'd argue is a vigorously kind of East Coast focus on what a miner is here. Here's a coal miner with a pickaxe, strong union. They're going deep below there. There's their miner helmet there. Um, Like it it speaks to what I would see in uh, coal mines, 1910s, kind of East Coast there. But me being Californian, 
my high school's mascot is minor. And what does that right. minor look like? It's this beard faced uh, claim jumper who is uh, plaster mining with a miner's pan and doesn't have any other gear and things like that. It's a complete, uh, completely different minor here. So um, that was something that kind of hit me. It's like, well, okay, well, why are they making this? Uh, uh, or. Hmm. We want an adventure that's condo rails. Why are we putting down rail, rails? It's all about the economy of soul stones here. So um, how, why would they bring it down? There must be a new vein, new prospect there. Um, so e even though there was a focus on trains there, I kind of uh, fell into this concept here. Well, I, I still want to focus on kind of the geology, the plaster mining aspect there, and kind of throw in what a soul stone miner means to me, which is much more that kind of outcast prospector model uh, right. going out there who might be, you know, illegally digging, uh, not with a, <laughs> a guild claim, but um, something along that realm there. So I already so once they came back with that, I was like, well, there has been this system that I actually stumbled into with my avatar game where um, they had to my players had to do a far flung travel from one side of the continent to the other. How am I going to manage that? And so something that I've been really kind of focusing on lately as a GM uh, and whatnot is how can I make non-combat kind of scenes a bit more interesting because kind of the go-to, and this isn't just through the breach, but even in Dean D fifth ed and others there, you have your ongoing skill challenge. And it's just that kind of go around the table, tell me what you did, roll D 20, roll D 20 or flip cards, hit that TN, da, 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 da. And that works up to a point, but I don't think anyone will make the claim that that is just as engaging or interesting or as dynamic as the system that is combat. So how, right. how can we make that a bit more um, – how can I elevate those kind of ongoing skill challenges to that quality there? So uh, what I did for my Avatar game was um, I took the Fate deck um, when they're ready to fast travel here, and I flipped cards face down and until I made a silhouette that was the shape of the continent. And I told my players, okay, each card is about a day of travel. Let's go ahead and travel here. So they had to converse with themselves. Well, I want to scout ahead, okay? Um, with uh, the twist deck flip for me there, you get to peek what the next card is. Oh, that's really low. Maybe we should avoid that. Uh, oh, this one's really high. Well, that's probably a town there. You can replenish resources and things like that. And, uh, oh, athletics was really high for everybody. You get to travel two days and reveal what's going on there. So that was a confirmation for me that, like, we can do uh, more stuff with the Fate deck than we've kind of yet to see in other published works from Through the Breach. So that was my little kind of darling idea that I really really wanted to inject in this uh, adventure is how can we do kind of interesting stuff like that and kind of inspire other um, readers of that story to do kind of similar systems and improve their ongoing skill challenges. So that's interesting to me. So now we're at stage two. You've got you've got the premise, right? They want it to be about the Condor Rails. You're, you're going to involve, you know, soul stones in some way and the mining of soul stones in some way. You've got um, a desire to flex the fate deck in a way that maybe we've not seen yet in Through the Breach. How does it like I'm trying to figure out, like, where do you where's the basic structure come from at that point? Like where where does the through line so at that point, that's when I was uh, starting to um, put down my um, technical writing practice, where instead of, again, writing from beginning to end, I just had my different titles of scenes there. So here's scene one. Here's them uh, getting a job from Condo Reels. Scene two, here's them prepping for that. Here's scene three. Uh, here's them on the train to their destination where they'll get off and uh, continue uh, surveying, laying down track or what have you. Uh, scene four. So I had these kind of story beats of th this is why I want scenes da 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 da. Um, at that point, I started uh, drawing stuff down and I even put a few other systems on top of uh, the one I just described in terms of, well, if you're purchasing things like dynamite and things like that, who's going to notice you doing that? Who's going to yeah. have opinions about that? Are you going to get a tail? Uh, and whatnot, and um, we had kind of a feedback cycle there where some of these other kind of social challenges are like, 
th this is a cute idea. Might come back to it later, but for this adventure, um, it, it's not necessary in here. And so, um, you know, talk about killing off your darlings and things like that. Definitely had a couple moments of that, but in terms of it, how did I kind of not get disarmed by that? I, I still have those in my back pocket. So in a future, yeah. um, writing scenario I, I still have i still have those in my repertoire i still have those in my toolkit uh just because they didn't have a chance to shine in this particular one shot doesn't mean that uh i've lost the opportunity to use them again so um i think i wrote about 70 percent of an adventure at that point i had big gaping holes which i just highlighted and just said i i think this is what's going to happen here this master might show up or this kind of confrontation if you're interested uh kicked it back and it came back and they, they said yeah we got we like about you know 30 or 40 percent of what you've got down there you know That's preserve good. this and and go that and just iterate 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 over and over again um and now we have the product we do so so you're putting together set pieces right mm -hmm. uh essentially um is there a is there a is there a, a a type of beginning middle end act one act two act three when you're putting together an adventure like that something that you would think about when you're trying to structure a story how do you structure that in in the idea of you know, you're not telling the story. You're you're creating you're creating the stage, and you're putting in some props, and maybe you've got some costumes and some actors. But you're not telling the story. It's going to be the fate master and the players that tell the story. And I'd be interested in how you navigate that when you're creating an adventure, because I, if you get too 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 far, it's just going to be a railroad literally a railroad that uh, nobody's going to have fun playing. Right. Cause they have to go right. from a to B to C to D. Like I really have no idea how you, how you flex into that. Um, Cause it seems very different to me. Well, I think it helped that one of the uh, core ideas that kind of came up was um, okay. This is a condor rails uh, adventure where you, you are being you, the fate, excuse me, are being, um, commissioned by Condor Rails to, to effectively be a survey party for Condor, why they're hiring you compared to someone else in-house. That's the big question there. But uh, the point is how you get there depends on which, what equipment they, um, you know, purchase and, and how they choose to get there. Uh, but more importantly, one of the fir first things I had a clear idea of was at the end, there was a chance of success or failure of this mission here there it is acceptable to fail at surveying the land here that was chosen not necessarily because they failed to attempt it here but just the land is bad that is legitimately we cannot have the weight of a train in this sec section here uh we do not recommend to go across here so that Having that as being my epilogue and knowing that is the case kind of gave me a bit of flexibility of, okay, there, there's a chance that uh, when they are mining, surveying, or whatever, doing this uh, sequence, uh, there's a chance they fail by no choice of their own here because that's how the cards lay. And sure. so um, how they – kind of find that piece of land if they kind of sense that like hey th this is bad Let let's change positions i give them opportunity to do that uh or if they dig deeper there's consequences for that so it's uh, not just about story beats there you also need to program in those kind of decision points there and have a cost and have consequences uh based on those choices from the players there and just be okay with branching out uh multiple endings uh because right. of that so I'd be curious, um, there was a draft, it was submitted, you got some feedback, and then there was the last draft, mm -hmm. right? At some point you got, you finished and they said, yep, we're going with this. This is a good to go. Was there anything that you did changed or put in there or took out that you can think of that really kind of pushed this thing over the finish line? Um, honestly, to this day, I'm not quite sure because, um, what happened was, uh, I was just doing draft, 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 and it did come to the point of, okay, now we're starting to care about a uh, word count, uh, the size of this thing, trying to keep it within these particular constraints. And so their feedback and concerns became a bit, uh, more and more, 
uh, granular and uh, fidelity there. And okay, let can you be a little bit more specific about what critters uh, should we put kind of in the back there, not just kind of hypotheticals and uh, things like that. So one of the drafts I sent out, um, I, I, I was ready to just iterate again, uh, over and over again. But then I got an email back saying, nope, this looks good. We'll take it from here, edit it up uh, as we see fit. We'll get the artists on it and bulk out the rest. Uh, your job is done. And it's just like, that's awesome. Oh, okay. I guess this has been decided for me, but uh, I, I'm pleased that they're pleased. Uh, so yeah. I, I've kind of listened to your other creators chat about, you know, what was the decision point? What made you stop? And they keep on talking about, oh, it's so agonizing. If I had a chance, I still would uh, iterate and improve it here. But uh, that's kind of the beauty of being a freelancer is uh, once the client's happy, uh, great. Uh, they're, they're happy then. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I'd be curious, was there any last changes that you didn't see until uh, the printed the printed version came out? So at the time of this recording, I, I haven't seen the uh, finished uh, product yet here. So uh, it's going to be just as surprising here. I, I'm really uh, interested to see if any art goes into it or any of the, or what art they do choose that's kind of existing to plug into it there. Um, so uh, I, I, I'm kind of waiting with bated breath to see uh, what the end result <laughs> I looks bet like. You are. Yeah. <laughs> So um, we're we're recording this at the end of February. Um, when is this set to release? Do we have a release date? Um, there's uh, last I talked with them, it was either uh, later this month or March uh, Q1 is what they said there. So very um, nice, very nice. Sh so it should be coming up. Yeah. So for those of those of you listening, it's likely out already. Um, and it's called the price of progress. Um, Josh, it was great talking to you, man. I really appreciate it. It was interesting to kind of get a sense of your, your, uh, progress as a writer, as well as the, um, kind of your process, um, in creating these things. Um, let's go ahead and plug, uh, what's out there for you. So we've got the price of progress, which is a one shot available through weird games. Um, which chronicles is your story in? I want to say it's, it's either 36 or 37. It's the one that has widow weaver on the cover so that's uh, the sundial yes excellent so the sundial and that can be picked up at drive through rpg as well as uh, price of progress can be ordered through weird or through uh, drive through rpg um josh is there any other shout outs or uh, plugs that we want to fit in there as well yeah um i you probably already have the ad here but mario is a close friend of mine so uh matt's by mars uh get his product it high quality would recommend uh but secondly uh during these times of covid here um i know it's really really easy to kind of order your model from uh wherever it and get it delivered to your door. But at the same time, like my um, FLGS is really suffering right now on top of COVID. They just got yeah. flooded for the second time from a door oh. bust in Maine. Uh, and so there's still a truck in there. So uh, really, unless you are ordering those um, – you know, Black Friday models or, or things like that stuff that you can only get from weird. I, I highly, highly recommend uh, just support your FLGS that you want yeah. them there once everything returns back to normal here to have your play space and get back to playing like we all want to here. So uh, if I can plug um, Astro Comics and Games of Medford, Oregon and Fun Again Comics of Ashland, Oregon, those are the two that are kind of uh, close to me here. And I hench at one. So, yeah, uh, I, I preached I preached to that big time, Josh. In fact, I made a point. Um, about a month and a half into lockdown, uh, I stopped ordering online uh, and I do everything now. I order more now through my local game store than I did pre-COVID um, because of exactly what you're talking about. It, I knew it was going to be important um, for them to survive this. And when a lot of your business is just casual people playing and they go pick up something here, pick up something there, and that's gone. Um, I, I completely appreciate that. Well, Josh, we'll have to figure out another reason to have you on the show, man. I appreciate you coming by. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And those, for those of you that stayed around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you want more from the third floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. All right, we ended up mashing together a couple segments there, man, but it yeah, was no very worries. organic.
Good, good, good. Um, so that was great. Um, so this will probably be our last segment. Totally. Um, but I want to dig into this because this is this. I haven't had anybody on yet um, that has walked through the process of creating an adventure. So that's mm. where, where my focus will be. Okay. No worries. That, that was kind of my um, hope in the first place because um, uh, playtesting models versus writing lore versus writing for um, paint dreadful one shots and things like that. That, that it, it feels different each, each time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's what we'll dig into. All right. I'll bring us back. Cool. You still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, you might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.